Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 55, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg, featuring MLR Player of the Week, Cam Dolan from the New Orleans Gold. Hello, rugby fans. Week one in the books. We made it. It was glorious. And we are here alive off the back of two games for myself and one with my uh, good friend, Pete Steinberg. Pete, I had an absolute blast on Sunday night with your buddy. How'd you pull up? Um, it was great. Uh, it was great to get back um, doing games. Been a while since I'd done a game, but uh, enjoyed our time down in Austin together and managed to fly back early and get to the slopes on uh, Monday. Did a bit of skiing. So pretty, pretty good couple of days. Living the dream there, Pete. Living speaking the of, dream. Speaking of living the dream, there were a lot of great performances in week one. None better than the man who joins us on the show tonight. That is New Orleans Gold number eight, Cam Dolan. Cam, appreciate you coming on a Wednesday night, buddy. How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not doing too bad. You know, I'm, I'm getting a little older now, so it takes me a little bit of time to recover. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the saddle, ready to go for the weekend. Well, it does feel like you've been around forever, and you are still a young man. So a testament to your durability and versatility there. Let's first talk a bit about the World Cup. I know it's in the rearview mirror now, but what an experience that was for you in Japan there. Just give us a little overview of how your time in Japan was with the Eagles. Yeah, I think, I think uh, my time in Japan and just the summer as a whole between Pacific Nations Cup and, um, you know, the, the build-up to the World Cup was awesome. Um, you know, with, with Gary coming in back in, um, you know, January of 2018, um, you know, we kind of set a precedent of, of how we wanted to, you know, to, to build a team and, and how we wanted to act on and off the field. And I, 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 think, we, um, I think we did a pretty good job of that. Uh, obviously, the results didn't go our way. Um, but I think we were quite competitive in a couple of those games. Uh, you know, we're, we're now, um, you know, beat, beating the likes of Samoa. And, you know, we won two ARCs back-to-back. Uh, unfortunately, last year we weren't as successful. But um, I, think, I think we're definitely building as a team. I think we're still, you know, a, a year or two, maybe a couple, maybe a couple more off. But, um, you know, I think for USA Rugby fans, this is a very exciting time uh, between – you know, with, with what the MLR is building, uh, you know, I mean, when you got players like Ma Nanu and Adam Ashley Cooper and, um, you know, Bastro coming over, I mean, that's that obviously shows that the league's building uh, to where, you know, it can be successful uh, to, to, you know, your, your, your intense rugby fans, but then, you know, maybe fans that aren't as, um, you know, familiar with it. I think, uh, I, I think it's in a good place right now. Well, before, so I think that's true about MLR camp, but I want to go back to the World Cup because I think, you know, for, for players, it is a, always a unique experience. It's in a different place. 25 years from now, when, you know, you're telling your grandkids about your rugby career, um, what, would, what are you going to remember about Japan? Um, I mean, me personally? Yeah, you personally. <laughs> I, mean, well, I, I don't want you to share a memory of someone else to your grandkids. That would be unfair. I mean, for, yeah, I mean, for, I mean, for, me, for me personally, I mean, obviously the Japanese people are, are absolutely lovely. They're, they're, they're so welcoming and, you know, it's a very clean environment and they're huge fans of, of whatever they do. They go hundred percent. And, you know, I, I, res, I respect that to the max. I mean, for me personally though, like I, I set out a, a goal of mine as a, as a, you know, a, a rugby player in his teen years and I wanted 
to get 50 caps. And I was fortunate enough to, to get my 50th cap at the World Cup. So I think for my, my kids slash grandkids, I think that's probably going to be the, the story that, that is the most important to me. Uh, and then with that said, like the, the bonds you build on and off the field with your teammates, um, you know, as they say, you know, I don't want to sound um, stereotypical, but you, you kind of go to war with them. And, and you know, you, those bonds you build and, and uh, you know, the, the work you put in to get to a certain point and then be able to express yourself on the field on a Saturday, you know, as they say, uh, I, th I think that's very important for me as well. So that, that'll be, those will be those stories I share with my, my kids and grandkids and, the, and hopefully the legacy I leave. So you talked a little bit about Major League Rugby and its development. Now you're someone that has played overseas, you've played um, in England, you've played in Wales. Um, this is now the third year of Major League Rugby. Where do you think, you know, there's always a big, a big sort of discussion about what, how good is Major League Rugby? You know, is it championship level? Is it minor 10 level? You've, you've played at those different levels. How do you see it as someone who's played the games? Where do you think Major League Rugby fits? Well, I definitely think we have a better, um, better fan base and better crowd than championship. Um, we obviously have a lot more exciting athletes than we do at championship. Uh, but I think if you put if you put the top four championship teams and brought them over to the states and put them in the MLR, they'd be quite successful. And it's it, it's not because they're bigger, stronger, or faster. It's just because there's an experience level and they're fortunate enough to play thirty something plus games a year. Where as where you know, we're, we're, you know, we get, we get 16 as a team, uh, you know, as a, as a squad. So, you know, with the, with the likes of your Ealings and your, your Newcastles, um, you know, if Newcastle, I mean, to be bluntly honest with you, if Newcastle came over here right now and, and went to the MLR, I think they'd beat everyone by 30 plus points. Now I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, but um, that's just the fact of the matter because you have guys who've been playing professional rugby, you know, on that team, you know, on average for seven or eight years, whereas, squads here on average you know you might be at at four or five um and and guys who maybe picked it up in college so I, if i'm being honest with you that's where that's it but you know you ask me the same question in five or six years i'm going to tell you that we have better athletes and we're bigger we're stronger or faster and we're going to beat those teams but at the at the moment i think we're only at that year three and that's just where it's at it's, it's part of a developing process and and, and it's part of the you know, the building of the MLR, and it's only getting stronger and stronger every year. You can see it with the fitness. You can see it with, um, you know, the set piece. You can see it with uh, the defenses. You know, all across the board, it's getting better and better every year. So even if you took the Seattle from year one to, you know, Seattle, you know, that, that has won the last two years, and you took them against that, that played in the game on Sunday, Seattle that played on Sunday would have beat the first year Seattle team by 30 plus points. That's just, that's just how it is. Cause when you're in a, when you're in a professional environment day in day out for that long, you're obviously going to get better in every aspect of the game. So it's, it's just, it's just a slow process. And you, you can see it from um, even, even with every team, you know what I mean? You, I could see us from the start of last year to the start of this year. We're same thing. New Orleans goal would be, the New Orleans gold team we have now would beat the New Orleans gold team we had last year at the start of the year by 20 or 30 points. Well, in particular, if you keep putting in performances like you did on the weekend, <laughs> you are player of the week and, and, you know, deservedly. So I listen to some of these stats. I know you 
not going to enjoy tooting your own horn, so I'll toot it for you. 80 minutes, you get 15 points off the back of three tries, 22 carries for 136 metres, a line break, two tackle breaks. Uh, listen, tackled at a 90% success rate, a line-out steal. Here's my favourite one of all the stats. One kick for 69 I knew like metres. <laughs> one kick for 69 metres. What, what happened? Did a gust of breeze blow up behind you? Is there, or... Oh, we we have that new pitch, and it's a fast pitch. I think I just got lucky and, and, and caught a hoof. So I just caught it in the sweet spot, and it rolled. No, um, no I'm looking we, we forward were... to warm-ups on Sunday, Ken. <laughs> I want to see. I want to go a bit of kicking with you. No, we were in a we were in a we were in a easy soft defense, and um, you know their uh, their pass accuracy was just off by a, a couple inches, and uh, I jumped to the ball, and just my only option there, you know, when you're just inside your twenty-two on a sloppy ball on the edge with with low numbers, I know they don't they had no fullback back. I was like, I'll just let this let this rip real quick. Beautiful. I want to see one a game. Uh, Nate, I know. This, I know. I know. Agree I, with me though. No, I, th- I think Nate was happy with that kick. Uh, I think the end result was a lineup to us on, you know, 40 meters out from their line. So it was a gain of, you know, if you're in your own 22, you get the ball and you get also you get the ball back in their half. That's a win, right? I, I, so I think, I think the big question, Cam, is that when you kick, <laughs> did you put everyone on side and chase or did you kick and then take up the fullback position for the kickback? Oh, no. When I, because it was a sloppy ball, I picked up and, um, my USA teammate there, Threaten Palamo, and one of my other USA teammates, uh, Jameson Fanana Schultz, put an absolute licking on my upper ribs. So <laughs> that was that was fun. But early in the game, you know, and like I said, end result. We're judging we're judging the results as, as the famous uh, ex CEO of USA Rugby and one of my old coaches, Dan Payne, used to say, "Hey, if if, you, if the end result is a positive one, then you did something right." And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you too much stick for it. Yeah, obviously a, a, a really good start for Nola this year. Um, you know, but you had good starts last year too. What what's different about this team? How do you think um, the team is better set for the season than it maybe was last year, where you had a good start but kind of fell off at the end? We had a very good uh, last season. I think we had a very good probably fifteen to eighteen guys start the season. You lose a couple of key injuries there, and uh, you know all of a sudden it's like. Uh... But now that we're a year old, you know everyone's a year but a year more mature physically. Everyone's a year more mature um, in that professional environment, as I spoke about before. Um, you know now all of a sudden we're 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 you know thirty three to thirty five guys deep who already have, you know, a year's worth of professional rugby under their belts, if not more. So I think depth is going to play a huge role for us. Even when those guys came up, so what I think what hurt us the most last year was, I think our our, our scrum was a bit iffy even to start the game, and then as the you know when those that front row when those front row subs come on, it was like even more like, uh, especially for someone at the back of the scrum was always tough. Yeah. Right now, now we we our our <clears throat> Nate Osborne and our general manager uh, Fitzy did a very good job in the off season of recruiting in spots that we needed help. Obviously, the loss of Tristan Blewett's huge to us. He was one of the best players in the league last year. We filled it with uh, a winger from Argentina who isn't too shabby. He scored a hat-trick against the U.S. last year in the ARC. Um, we, brought a, we, brought a, um, we brought a guy in from Wales via – well, from South Africa via Wales. And Carl Meyer, who's a pretty damn good rugby player. And then you bring in a, a, an international cap tighthead, you know, who has 20-plus caps under his belt. 
and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're looking at a totally different team. We were one of the best lineups in the league last year, so hopefully we can keep that train rolling with uh, Ignacio Dotti and Kyle Bailey. Um, you know, uh, you got Kane Thompson, who's been around the block three, four, or five times now. Uh, so he knows a thing or two uh, at the age of at the ripe age of 54. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so and then we've got some young kids coming up. Um, who are some of the, who are some of the, some of the young guys that maybe we don't know that, that all right, so look out for? I think Billy Stewart's going to be an amazing lock in the future. I think he's definitely going to get capped for USA. You know, he's six foot, six foot five, six foot six, and two hundred and sixty-five pounds. And the the kid can move. He can put in shots. Um, you know, on, on defense, uh, he can carry the ball very well. Uh, so I think I think give that kid, give him another. You know, when I say kid, he's twenty-four, twenty-five. Give him another year or two, and I think he's pushing pushing boys for for you know a USA spot, possibly even the next World Cup cycle. Uh, I think Monty Tungawiwa, uh, he had a really good game on the weekend. He had two tries. Um, they converted him. He was the center the first year at MLR. He, they converted him to back row last year. Um, you know, and I think once he gets, gets that, um, that breakdown game, uh, or puts, that, puts a bit of nauseiness, as they say, into his breakdown game, I think he's going to be – I think he's going to be a very good upside flanker because he's a hell of a dynamic carrier, obviously, being an ex-center. Ex um, I think Malcolm May coming off an Achilles injury did pretty well uh, for his first game in 362 days of not playing any rugby, really, for the most part. Um, so lots of lots of young talent and, uh, yeah. and lots of depth, and that's going to be yeah, yeah. And we and we brought some experience in. You know, we have an Olympian in Con Foley. We got Scott Gale who played for the Rebels or the Reds. He played for the Queens and Reds. Don't quote me on that, but I mean, he, he's, he's a bit diverse. He can play a bit of nine, a bit of 10. Obviously, as you saw on the weekend, he started at 10 and once uh, Holden Younger went out, they moved him to nine and, um, you know, he's, he's got a pretty good hoof on him and bringing in Robbie Coleman, who's got super rugby experience as well is huge. And uh, yeah, I think, I think our back line's clicking quite well right now. And the forwards are, we're, we're, we're having fun as a team. That's, that's for sure. I can give you that much. Well, it looked like it on the weekend, and you put up a good score against Old Glory. But let's focus on the weekend coming up now, Cam. You take on Atlanta. A lot's been made in the offseason of the rivalry that currently exists between the two cities and how much both teams are looking to carry that rivalry over into Major League Rugby. What can we expect this weekend uh, down at the, the, the gold mine on the Shrine? Uh, the, the gold mine on, at the shrine on airline. Let's make sure you get that. Alliteration. I love it. <laughs> uh, I mean, New Orleans and Atlanta, right? They're, they're a huge rivalry in all sports, whether it's, whether it's LSU versus UGA. I mean, I know UGA is in Athens, but we'll just call it Atlanta because it's less than an hour away. You've got the Falcons and the Saints playing the same division. You've got the Pelicans and the Hawks, right? They're, it's, it's just we're, we're the only teams in the South. As far as the MLR goes, as far as the NFL goes, I mean, you can add Charlotte into that mix if you'd like. Um, Florida, as you and I know, uh, Dan, Florida's not really the South, is it? Uh, I, mean, I think it's, a, it's its own special place. I think so the South would be okay if Florida floated away. <laughs> yeah, but would Floridians be all right without the South? I was no, okay I, without it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, no, so, so obviously, you know, we, we haven't really had a real rival uh, in New Orleans. You've had Austin and Houston, obviously, they're natural rivals. Other than that, the only other Eastern team we have is Toronto, and that's a three-hour three flight away. So 
I think there are going to be some 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 rivalries up in that northeast area, and um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, I'm excited to play against them. I was unfortunate enough to uh, pull up with a, a little niggle in the preseason, so I wasn't able to play against Atlanta in the preseason. But um, you know, they obviously play out of Life University, and um, you know, I attended a bit of education there for a few years, and and had a pretty successful uh, career from ages 20. 18 to you know to 22 so scott lawrence recruited me he's now their director of rugby so i'm you know i'm i'm, I'm pretty excited to play against him this weekend and uh, so I'm, i know they're going to be very well drilled in all aspects you know scott's a defensive specialist so we can expect a a, a pretty hard-nosed team in that aspect and then blake bradford's um you know a Stellenbosch grad um you know and uh you know he knows a bit about rugby and could expect their forwards, you know, come out with a bit of, bit of, you know, well, a bit we, of physicality and uh, a good set piece. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, Cam. We're going to finish up with a couple of questions um, about your teammates. So all, all we're looking for is, is a name, right? I, you're not allowed to give any um, reason qualification. Okay. Right. So who's the funniest guy on the team? Hold up, I need clarification. Cam Dolan. Cam has to say who's the funny. You just have to say the name. Funniest guy in the team. Oof. Um, Kevin O'Connor. Okay. Next up, if you had to go on a five-hour road trip, which of your teammates would you, would you pick to go with you? Can I go with who I don't want to go on a five-hour road trip with? Do both. Pick Kane who you want to go with, both. and then go. Thompson, I definitely don't want to go with. <laughs> who you I mean, would want to go with? I mean, rough on Big Kane. Yeah, I used to live with him. It's easy. Um, who I who I would want to go on a five hour road trip with? Yep. Team. He would want to go on a five hour road trip. Um, Monty Tongaiwa. Ah, is that is actually is a quiet guy, and you can just play music the whole way. Yeah, he'd be quiet and sleep. And he, wouldn't, <laughs> and, and, he wouldn't, and he wouldn't be a stickler on my, on, my, on my music choice either. Nor food. I think he'd be down for anything. Okay. Um, if something goes missing out of your kit bag, who's the first player you turn to? Cam Falcon. Without a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> that was too easy. Uh, without a doubt. It's not even close. I think that's all I have. But that, those are um, thank thank you so much. Like, I thought that last one was going to be the hardest one, but you went straight for it. No, I live with the guy. It's pretty easy. <laughs> that's funny. Cam and Cam. It's easy when you know you go play pool or something like that. Hey, what's your name, Cam? What's your name, Cam? You just mess with people all the time. It's actually quite comical. Oh, C one and C two. Well, big fella, we are so excited to come down there this weekend. Uh, Nola Atlanta CBS game of the week. Uh, excited to catch up with you. Always great to see you, big man. And we really appreciate you jumping on the show tonight and excited to see what you're doing in 2020, both with Nola Gold and the USA Eagles later in the year as well, mate. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Cam. All right, take it easy. Cam Dolan, player of the week for week one of season three of Major League Rugby. And uh, when you look through that performance that he had against Old Glory, Pete, it's really hard to argue with that choice. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, Cam's... You know, obviously with 50 caps is one of the best players that the U.S. has ever produced. And when you put him behind a pack, 
that is going forward, particularly in the scrum, the way the Nola pack was going forward. Um, you know, you had Bentar on the bench, you had Dino Waldron. I think that's probably the biggest pickup they've had. Last year, they, you know, Cam mentioned about the scrum. It really started to go down when Bentar got injured. But now they've got um, Dino Waldron as a backup or, or, you know, with competition at tighthead. He started the game, obviously. So I think that, you know, you put a player with the athleticism of Cam Dolan behind a pack that goes forward and he's going to be really dynamic. And he was last weekend. Pete, let's jump into reviews from week one. The games will start with the opening game on Saturday morning, which is, uh, geez, it's been a while since I've seen a Saturday, a morning kickoff for a game. I felt like I was back in the old under eight days with an AM kickoff. Uh, I had an extra strong coffee for this one. It was the Sabercats hosting the Raptors. Sabercats 21 points to 12 over Colorado down there. I called the game, Pete, so I'll get your thoughts first. Well, you know, this... I think a lot of the games this past weekend um, looked kind of a little bit more like preseason games. And I think this was one of those examples. You know, both teams were learning a lot. Um, Both teams were um, able to uh, do some good things, but then it broke down, uh, you know, after the second or third phase. So it wasn't really a great game of rugby, but, you know, the, um, I, th- I think I, I selected the Raptors last um, last week. And I think, you know, an Achilles heel popped up for them against Houston. Now, you know, Houston were, were without um, Paul Mullen, right, who was their big tight head last year. But they, they picked up some quality players, inclu- including uh, um, Diego Fortuny, who had an amazing game at Hooker. He, he really was a stud for me. But that leadership in the scrum men and I'm just pulling up the stats right now let, let me have a look so um it, you know Houston won all of their own scrums the uh, Raptors only won 67 of their scrums I think that that dominance in the scrum in a game that 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 was close was important plus the Raptors had you know both of these teams had some opportunities to score that they didn't take it was a bit of a mess I think both teams will look to improve for next week yeah I agree player of the match in that one was Sam Windsor uh, uncharacteristically had a tough day off the kicking tee, but kicked the one that counted at the end to, to stretch that lead out and put them away from Colorado. But his tactical and territorial kicking was outstanding in very tricky conditions, Pete. I don't know if it really came through on the broadcast, but the wind at Aviva Stadium down there blows in a weird kind of way as it comes in there. The, the field's quite protected, but it kind of circles into the field and changes periodically i talked to sam after the game he said yeah the wind was kind of moving direction so uh he got our player of the match but some great performances from both sides i was really impressed with uh jan boyson the number eight for houston yep. big namibian representative and Matthias freya uh outstanding at 13 not a, a heavily built 13 looks more like a winger or a back three player but he was really really good on his defensive reads while for colorado john ryberg again gets a try and does what he does best with 118 meters Got caught out a few times positionally in the game that allowed yeah, Houston to flip the field on them. But yeah, uh, I thought that was really interesting. And when you were talking about Sam Windsor's kicking, I thought they actually targeted Ryberg. It looked to me that they were looking at him, and you know he's a tremendous player with the with the ball in his hand. But they found him a little bit out of position a couple of times. Um, also, when you've got a right-footed kicker, the left winger is much more likely to receive the kicks. And I really, I agree with you about, about Sam, Sam Windsor. I thought, I think there's a lot of learning. I think Pete Borlase, the Colorado Raptors coach, I'm not sure he's really worked out his best team yet. I think that he's learning. There's been 
more turnover for Colorado this year than there probably was in the previous five years. So I think he's still learning. You know, um, Denation was the scrum half that, like the young scrum half, I thought he struggled. Um, you know, Thomas Quinlan showed some some good things. I actually, the person that really stood out for me for the Raptors was Mason Emerson at fullback. I thought he looked like a really, really good dynamic runner when he was given space. I just don't know that he was given enough space in this game. Yeah, I agree. And it came late too for Mason. It took him a while to get into the flow and the rhythm of the game. Got some great touches late. And he will be a, a player to keep an eye on for those Raptors moving forward. Really dynamic fullback. So exciting stuff. Let's move on, mate, to the game that our player of the week was involved with, Nola Gold and Old Glory. I was a little bit hesitant picking Nola in this one. I thought they were going to win, but I thought it was going to be tighter than what it was. But boy, that set piece, that scrum for Old Glory. Uh, as we've seen, the beast is on his way now, but uh, he cannot get here soon enough for Old Glory. Well, it was the set piece. I mean, it was the scrum and it was the line out, right, that they struggled in. And I think that, you know, Old Glory showed some some bits and pieces of doing things well, but they just weren't able to, um, you know, they defended well, they defended a lot, um, but they just weren't able to win enough ball and get into their cycle. I thought that um, Mungo Mason had a great game for um, Old Glory. I think he's going to be a a real stud, very, very active, scored a try, Um, really, really impressed with him. So they've got some players and, and recognize, Dan, that, you know, Nola lost this and they had three yellow cards. And, and you know, you imagine that, that for 30 minutes of the game, I guess it wasn't exactly 30 because I think one of the yellow cards was late. But for a large chunk of the game, you're, you're down a player and you were still able to play like that. I mean, I think, I, I feel like Nola didn't play their best. I, I, was, I questioned some of their kicking strategy. I thought that they would keep the ball in hand a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I think Cam... Dolan's right. They've actually got depth in the backs. Last year, remember, I think it was the same back line every single game. And this year, they've got some real competition back there. Yeah, JP Eloff out injured at the moment. Nick Feeks uh, with some visa issues. So two more talented players to add into that back line as well. One of the things that stood out for me in this, Peter, is looking at the stats for Old Glory. Jason Robinson, the fly half, ends up with 15 carries for 105 metres. Not a bad little haul, but a concern when your 10 has over double the amount of carries. It's the second one who is uh, the winger there in uh, Renata Roberts-Tanana. Um, indicative there that they were having some trouble moving the ball, that Robinson yeah. was running a lot. And, and, and I think part of that was some of the defensive pressure that, um, that Nola were able to apply. They really came off the line very, very well. And um, the... Uh, I think that they were able to hold. Um, uh, they will be able to hold DC behind the game line pretty well, and that meant that the fly half was just taking that ball in way too much. I mean, we're going to see more from Old Glory. You know, I think that again, you know, you're just learning a lot. You're learning about what players can do. There's no way that 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 you can know it. And I, you know, with all of the. Um, uh, with all of the uh, expansion teams, they're going to be focused on the learning that happens in these first three or four games. And I think Old Glory will come back. I think, you know, the beast coming in is, is you know, people talk about where he's going to be in the scrum. He's, he's on the loose head side, which isn't actually as, as important in the scrum as the tight. certainly can be very destructive. 
But it's not just about his play as an individual. It's the fact, if you talk to the forwards in San Diego last year, they'll tell you it was about the mindset that Paddy Ryan brought to scrummaging, and that's what the beast will bring to the old glory scum. Scrum. Yeah, I agree there, Pete. It's... Uh... We're interested to see if he's got time to acclimate and play this weekend. I'm sure he's the consummate professional. He'll do everything he can to get on the field. Moving on to Sunday's game, it started in Atlanta as uh, new kids on the block. Rugby Atlanta took on the Utah Warriors. I went with Utah. You went with Atlanta on this one. And boy, oh boy, Utah, you just know how to keep breaking my heart. Uh, They'd led for the majority of this game before being run down late by Rugby Atlanta who looked like a much more polished side in the second half than Utah, who's in their third year, uh, third year of MLR. The interesting thing here, Pete, as I go through, there were five players on the Utah bench that clocked zero minutes. So not sure if that is an issue with confidence. Uh, one of them, Fetz Van Ecolo, who everyone in the league knows from his first two years in Utah. But they did run out of steam, yet left five fresh players on the bench. So interesting to see how Utah handled that game down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, you know, that's, I'm not sure what to say about that, except if you're a coach, you know, you don't feel comfortable putting those um, players in. And like you said, Vanakola is someone that's been extremely dynamic for Utah in the past. I'm going to get a little rugby nerdy on you. Is that okay, Dan? Yeah, nerd it up, mate. Go put okay. that hat on with so, the propeller on top for me. So, so what that's I the one. <laughs> What I saw when I watched this game, which I thought was really interesting, was two teams with two different attacking approaches trying to do the same thing. And so what you saw with Utah is what I'd call a classic attack. Their forwards would run off their nine. They would come from depth. They would take the ball. They would like try and use their footwork to get over the game line. And you would see the forwards mainly running off, off nine, although some, they sometimes run off 10. And then they would... What you know? What we call, what I would call, roll those pod of forwards. So you you'd see the nine pass behind that pod of forwards to the ten, but because that pod of forwards was deep, that pass to the ten was very deep. Okay, so immediately I felt like Utah were giving up the game line with the way they were playing. Set um, Atlanta very very different. All of their plays from their nine to their forwards were extremely flat. And they were looking, and why? They were looking to get outside of that third defender, which is often seen as a weak point in a defense, right? It's that connection between the forwards and the backs. And because, and, 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 and they would play there, but they would also play very flat off 10. So, you know, I thought that the um, Atlanta 10, Kurt Coleman, played a heck of a game, he's a super rugby player, and his ability to stand flat and hit his forward flat allowed, um, uh, Atlanta to get over the game line. So if you look at the stats, Atlanta got over the game line 60% of the time and Utah only got over the game line 41% of the time. And what that meant was when Atlanta moved the ball wide, they looked much more dangerous and they had much better support. Whenever Utah moved the ball wide, the whole time I'm like, they're isolated because they're so deep. It's hard to get support behind the ball. And I think if I'm a team that's playing Utah, I'm going to see that as an opportunity. When they move that ball wide, I'm going to see that as an opportunity to get the turnover. If I can get that good tackle, if I can get that inside defender there. So just really interesting for me to look at the two different ways these teams attacked. Like just, you know, a bit of rugby nerding going on there. I liked it, mate. That was great insight. That's why you're the best in the business. Hey, let's jump to another game. And let me tell you, I've been in hiding ever since this result because... 
along with the rest of the world, I picked uh, Rooney to beat New England. And ever since New England thumped them 34-14 on Sunday afternoon, every person in Boston has come after me on social media. I was waiting for Bill Belichick to call me and be like, what were you thinking picking against Boston? And, you know, and, but anyway, New England, they get it done out of the gate. So congrats to them. First win in their first game in Major League Rugby, 34-14 over New York, who uh, are bitten with the, the injury slash visa bug very, very hard early on. Greg McWilliams, uh, I, I'm definitely not uh, envious of, of the position he finds himself in trying to patch that squad together here, especially after that. I think they lost a couple other players too during this game to injury. Pretty significant injuries as well. Pete, what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, wind is the worst element for rugby because it fundamentally changes the game worse than cold, worse than rain. And, you know, it's just so hard to see a game where, you know, there was, um, <laughs> there was a moment where Cahill Marsh was inside his 22 with the wind at his back in the second half. And you could see he was trying not to kick the ball very hard. And it still flew and went out the other end, and it was a scrum down to New England. And I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a back, but I've been a scrum coach in my time, and I think that they, that um, New England, made some very, very smart decisions in their front row with Brighouse and um, Hatakiyama. They just dominated, and they made it something. You know, in, in a game that's windy, where there's um, a lot of errors where there's, um, let me look, how many scrums are in this game? 21 scrums, which is a lot. They were just so dominant. It was, it was, it, it was um, impossible for New York to get into any kind of rhythm. And, and you know, although New York looked, they, you know, they didn't look up for the game. You know, we talked about some, um, an, imp an important player that they lost, which was Ross Deacon. I mean, it doesn't jump out of the stats, but he's a bit of a glue player. And I feel like that maybe they need a few more glue players there. They need some players that, that, that really do the hard, hard work. They've got guys that can do like the great stuff with the ball, but maybe they need a little bit more of the hard yard guys. Yeah, it'll be a, a tough week out there in Vegas for the New York boys, but they can bounce back. They're, they're still got some quality players there. So, But what a game for New England it was. Uh, some injury concerns over their fly half tight leader. So... Timothy Gearman will be next man up out there for New England if uh, Tide can't go this week. Moving on, mate. Championship rematch, Torero Stadium. It was our CBS game of the week. The Legion get a little bit of revenge for that loss last year against Seattle as they uh, hold on 33-24. It did look dead for a moment in the late 60th minute. Late 60s, sorry, almost 70th minute when uh, Georgie Barton crashed over that the Seawolves were coming back at them again. You could see some of the San Diego faithful saying, oh, Please, not again. But they hold on, 33-24. The story out of this one was Manonu, a little rusty out of the gate, but boy, oh boy, he blew that rust off in a hurry and he was uh, outstanding, worth every penny invested in bringing him over just on this performance alone. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was a really interesting game. I mean, you know, San Diego is going to be tough to beat. I mean, well, they were tough to beat last year. And, you know, um, they had some players that weren't playing. You know, J.P. Peterson is an, is, is an example. Um, but they've got the, the depth to be able to handle it. I thought that this was a really interesting game. Um, and I think that the difference in the game for me was that when San Diego moved the ball wide, 
they have real game breakers out there. They've got guys like, you know, Mikey Teo, um, Tua Tisavau, right? They've got some players that can beat multiple players and score. And I just don't know that Seattle have those players. They certainly didn't show. And so even though, you know, I felt like Seattle did some really good stuff, right? You know, solid scrums. Um, they struggled a little bit in the lineout, um, but, you know, um, both teams did. Um, the conditions weren't great. Um, it was, you know, it, it was that outside backs that got the go forward for San Diego. And then it was that mall and, and the line out from San Diego. I mean, two tries from the mall, actually three tries from the line out because there was one try that came straight from, from a line out. So it was really that source of possession that, that made it work. But San Diego looked good. And I also think, Dan, that Seattle look, looked a little short. And I wonder, you know, they've, they've made a tactical decision to start their preseason late. You know, they're a month behind everyone else. I think they're hoping that that's going to pay off later on in the season. Um, but they certainly look short coming into this game. Yeah, and they opened their season for the first two years at home as well, which was a big advantage for them. On the road for the first time in, in Seawolves history, always tough on the road as your opening game. Like you said, and that was a big crowd. I don't know if you got a chance to see a great crowd in San Diego. So, you know, tip of the hat to San Diego Legion fans for turning up in force there to support uh, support your team. Made for a really good atmosphere for that game. Uh, for me, I looked at some of the stats, Pete, believe it or not, did some, uh, actually did some research for this one. So maybe that rugby nerd, you know, is starting to rub off me a little bit. It was interesting to watch the penalty breakdown. So the run yeah. of penalties that came and that kind of ind- indicated the turnaround. I think there was eight penalties in a row against San Diego from the 52nd minute. Started with Josh Verno and Len- ended uh, one after Peter Malcolm got the yellow card. And that was kind of Seattle getting back into the game. Then we saw Vili Politao get yellow carded for Seattle and it just kind of collapsed that uh, uh, that momentum they had going there. But interesting to see how those penalty exchanges can. And I know you love looking at the penalties too. It seemed like a high number in this match. It, it, it was a high number. And if we remember um, last year, San Diego had a problem with penalties. You know, they particularly had a problem with penalties um, at, the, at, at the tackle contest. Uh, here it looked like they were a little bit too aggressive in the tackle, the number of foul play, high tackles in the penalties. But it's, it's been their Achilles heel um, last year. It's what gives the other team momentum. But what saved them here is that their lineup was so good. Um, and so, you know, I think it's going it's, it's, it's to be tough for teams to come up um, to, you know, to come into San Diego and win those games. But I think, I think Seattle leave there feeling like, you know, all right, we didn't play our best. We're not quite in, in full season mode. And, um, you know, the last couple of years, they've been okay. Or well, last year, you know, they were okay losing to San Diego early on. It doesn't matter here. The, the, I, I will say that um, one of the things that we have to remember this year, Dan, is that these early games can matter. Because even if everyone says, well, look, both Seattle and San Diego are going to make the playoffs, which I think most, most people will predict. The question is, who's going to get the bye? So we've got three teams coming from the West. The number one seed gets the bye. And this game and this win might be really important for um, San Diego to get in there. And remember, there wasn't a bonus point for Seattle, right? They only scored three tries, not four. They didn't finish within seven. And so this was a bonus point win 
for San Diego. And I think we might be looking when we look back in June and we see San Diego edging Seattle by a point or two, we might look back at this game and say, actually, this was the game that Seattle weren't quite ready for. And it actually cost them that buy in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, interesting. And home field advantage too. So that's yep. something else to consider. Moving on, mate, the most anticipated debut in any sport in the world in history. The whole world tuned in on Sunday night to find out exactly what a Gilgroni is. And they found out it's a rugby team from Austin. They took on the Toronto Arrows. Unfortunately for the Gilgronis, not a winning debut as the uh, rebranded club. It was the Toronto Arrows. Pretty convincing winners in the end, 38 points to 10. Could have been a lot worse for Austin if Toronto had uh, picked up a few tries that they left on the table there. You and I called this game, Pete, and I come away from it really impressed with Toronto. I think they're going to really, I think they're going to contend quite heavily for the championship this year. But also excited for Austin too. A lot to like about what they're doing down there, and I think some good things coming for the Gilgronies as well. So you know, I'm becoming a broken record, but scrums matter in um, Major League Rugby, especially in a game like this where there are 25 scrums, which is a lot. And um, I'm going to point out something that, you know, when people talk about scrums, they often will talk about the props. And they'll talk about the tight head prop in particular. But actually, just as important is the tight head lock. So that's the number five. It's on the right-hand side of the scrum. And if you remember, um, Dan, we didn't get the lineups corrected. There was a late change. And Ricker Swartz, um, who's a big type five lock, big number five, um, was replaced by J.P. Novak, who is a great athlete. Interesting story. He's 39, took up rugby, I think, when he was in his mid-30s. His dad played rugby for England, but never encouraged him to play. He went on and played you know, college football. So he picked it up late, but he's undersized. And so they... so. Austin really struggled in the scrum until um, Paul Cellini, who was the number five tight headlock from the Arrows, got subbed out in the 50th minute. And all of a sudden, the scrums became much more even. So just a really interesting piece for me that talks of, you know, when you think about the scrum, you want to think, you want to look at the number three, but you also want to look at the number five. Yeah, at that point, the damage was truly done, though. Uh, oh, it was, but it's just, I think, for Austin. yeah, I just think that if Austin, you know, in that second half, Austin played with Toronto because they had a solid platform. And so to me, if they get Swart back and they put him in, I think they can be stronger. The other thing that to me was really impressive about Toronto, I thought that they were a little sloppy on attack. They had lots of opportunities. They clicked every now and then. They had a few moments that were really great. There was one when, um, Cole Keith took a pass from Mike Shepard in the midfield and had a 30, 40 meter break. But the thing that really impressed me was their defense. They made 107 tackles and they missed eight. So that's a 93, that, that's a good defensive percentage. So um, I think Toronto, I mean, um, Toronto are your pick to make it, right? Out of the East, yeah, I think so. Nothing's changed after the weekend, too. Yeah, and so I think that um, I'm, I was impressed. I think they're going to get better. I think, you know, all of those teams from the North struggle a little bit in their prep when they come down. Um, we, we went down there and, you know, everyone in Austin, because it's in the low 60s, are in their winter coats. And um, all the Canadian guys are in their T-shirts and shorts. 
Yeah. That was, <laughs> that, was, that, that was us Sunday morning walking around in a pair of shorts and then uh, yeah, the rest of Austin in fur coats and looking like they're going to Siberia. But I want to give a little shout out to Thomas De La Vega. Goes perfect on the night, 17 for 17 and tough, slippery conditions as well. So great effort from him to miss no tackles up there too. So he was uh, in the sixth jersey for Toronto. And Richie Asiata, definitely a name to keep an eye on. He clocked 69 minutes in the number one jersey. Thought he was really, really dynamic with ball in hand. A little bit different to Morgan Mitchell, who they had last year, uh, but looked solid in the scrum, but looked a little bit more dynamic in open field. So they've definitely recruited well there in the off-season Toronto. And I think for, for Austin, you know, obviously the most exciting guy is Dominic Aquino. He's a crossover guy, um, played uh, defensive back at Western Oregon, like made his own way down to the combine, um, got picked up and, you know, um, is a huge uh, um, impact whenever he's around the ball. Just needs to learn to get around the ball. And I have to say that I thought that um, Zinzan Elan Pudik, who, who's a fullback playing fly half, they've really struggled in their nines and tens. Um, Kurt Morath hopefully is coming in to be able to help these guys out. But I actually thought he played really well. His kicking was spot on. He didn't get a lot of ball, but I was actually really impressed in how the captain led, led his team. Yeah, and a good announcement today coming out of Austin too. So their February 29th match against DC will be the uh, Cuisine Solutions Cup down there in San Antonio. So Queen, because oh, here we go. Cuisine yeah. Solutions is the major sponsor, jersey sponsor for Old Glory DC. They also have a huge facility down in San Antonio. So really good from both sides getting that promotion lined up and they'll be playing for the uh, the Cuisine Solutions Cup. I'm going to get that right before 29th of February, I hope. So yeah, keep an eye on that one. Not this weekend, the following weekend, but let's focus on this weekend, Pete. Let's go through the games. Uh, not a great weekend of tipping for me last week. I think you actually might have... Uh, you might might be up by one on me, Aaron. Do we do we get a tally? You are three and three, and Pete is four and two. Ooh, there we go. Good start, Pete. Congratulations. Enjoy it, Wade. Season Bye. should be over right now. Yeah, you you and a few okay. other people. Okay, are before that. No, 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 no. Before we go through any any of the game previews, are there is, is there any player news that you know that I should know before I make my pick? The beast is here. Don't know right. if he's playing. Okay. Haven't seen a roster. Okay. Um, outside of that, let me think. Um, Tig leaders in doubt. Probably probable not to play is what I've heard. So outside of that, no. I won't have anything else until you start making picks. I okay. mean, I've, I have nothing else. I think Cassidy is out. Oh yeah, and uh, two, two. I think McDonald as well in yeah. Rooney. McDonald's both both out, out this weekend. Yeah. Both out for a while. Oh yeah. All right, let's kick things off. Game one, Saturday, 2.30 Eastern. It's in Las Vegas. It is the New England Free Jacks taking on the Utah Warriors. Game will be on uh, New England Sports Network locally up there in the Northeast. And I think the Utah announced their broadcast details as well. But I don't remember what they are. So get on the ASL.com and DeseretNews.com. I love it. Thanks, Aaron. That's that's why he's the best producer in the business. Is it, Aaron, is it ESPN Plus for the rest of us? It is not. So um, I'm guessing, or it might be, but it, I didn't see it on the ESPN Plus schedule. But KSL.com and Deseret should only be geo-blocked in the Nesson area. Gotcha. Okay, so that's good. So unless you're in the Northeast, in which you are, just 
watch Ness and go to a bar and get it on. It'll be on those uh, locations. All right, Pete, you go first on this one. Uh, I'm, dude, I'm looking at these, the, I, I know, like these first two. Uh, toss a coin. Toss a coin. Um, I, you know, so I'm going to go with New England. And I'm going to go with New England because um, they're already out in Vegas. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll have to travel. Utah are traveling. Um, I thought Utah played pretty well, but I think that they're going to struggle in the set piece against these guys. Yeah, the, the thing without tag leader, oh, that's, a, that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But I think I'm going to go with New England. I think it's going to be still windy in Vegas. I mean, those of us that have been out there for the sevens know it, know, know it can be cold and windy. I think this will be New England. I think it'll be 24-22. Yeah, I agree with you, mate. You know, after, like I said, just getting berated by everyone during the week for not picking New England. Um, I mean, but, and, but you, you love picking Utah when they're the underdog. That's when you pick Utah. They're the underdog every week. <laughs> I know. And they did have a couple of more signings come in too. So, no, I'll go with New England. I think uh, Timothy Gearman... Pretty quality 10 can step in there. I was impressed with Hadakiyama. I thought he really did a great job of controlling the scrum for New England. They're acclimated to Vegas. They know the surroundings. It'll feel like a home game for them. So New England, uh, man, if it's windy though, you just don't know, right? Because like you said, the conditions just dictate so much out there with that wind that comes off the desert. So I'll go 27-19 New England. There we go. All right. Staying in Vegas on Saturday night, it's Austin taking on New York. Uh, ESPN Plus for this one. So get your subscription dialed in. I'll go first on this one, Pete. I uh, if, if they can get some players in, I think New York is hurting in the back row. I think Austin could spring an upset here. I will go the Gilgronies by one point. I'll go 22-21 at the death to win it. I mean, there's a lot of good players on on Rooney, but you know they've 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 had some injuries. They're struggling to get some plays in. Um, it's it, it's hard for me to pick against New York here because I think New York's a quality team. Um, I think you know Austin. I think it, it does depend if Austin bring in players. I mean, what I should do is just pick for the rest of the season exactly what you pick. <laughs> But yeah. I think I'm going to go for Rooney here. And I think it's going to be um, Rooney 32, Austin 20. So, Kurt Morash showed up today. Adam Ashley Cooper showed up today. And, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I don't know that at all. But, yeah, you may not be kidding, but... Uh, it'd be interesting to see the Ross, eh? I'm a Gilgroniac. I'm, I'm a diehard. I've, a been, I've been there since day one. I love, I love the Gilgronies, so... All right, mate. Moving on to Sunday. We're, we're in Vegas. Obviously, a big weekend out in Vegas. It's uh, Houston, the Sabercats, 1-0, taking on the Toronto Arrows, also 1-0, 2.30. Uh, TSN up in Toronto, and then ESPN Plus for the rest of us. And I... You're going first on this one. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you know, I, was in, I, I thought Houston did well. I think Houston are going to be a good side, but I think Toronto are the real deal. I think they've got depth. I think they've got the advantage of playing together. I mean, they're 26 returning players from last year. I think they're the highest percentage of anyone in the league. 
So I'm going with Toronto. Um, I think they can do everything well. Um, so I think Toronto are going to do this. I think Houston will be competitive, but I think this is going to be Toronto 32, Houston 25. Yep, I'm going to agree with you on that one. I'll go for Toronto as well. You can't have them in the championship if they're losing games throughout the year. So I won't add too much. I kind of agree with you. I think Houston's strength in the scrum will be matched by Toronto. And then after that, just a little bit more polish on that arrow side right now. But exciting for Houston. I think McKeeley's going to do a really good job down there. And he's got a lot of talent in that side. And when they can adapt to his system and kind of play it consistently, I think they're going to upset a few sides and still have them penciled down as my number three seed in the West. So I will go Toronto on this one, but Houston will keep it tight as well. Uh, 32-29. All righty. Let's go out to Washington, D.C. and the potential debut of the Beast. It's Seattle coming off a loss against D.C., also coming off a loss on 3 p.m. Sunday. So this one will be on Root Sports in the Pacific Northwest and then, I believe, NBC in the Washington area, Washington, D.C. area, and then ESPN Plus for the rest of us. I'm going first on this one. I will say even with the B showing up if he plays, he'll, he's in good shape. Uh, professional guy. I don't think we'll see his full influence for a couple of weeks though, as he adjusts to the team and, and the systems there. So he'll make an immediate impact, but I'm not seeing enough from the rest of that side to get the win. I'll go Seattle to bounce back from that loss. And I uh, think it'll be tight though. I'll go 32-25. Yeah, this is this is a long trip for Seattle. It's back-to-back travel games, um, but it's I wouldn't say it's a must-win for Seattle, but it's competitive out west, um, and so I think they're going to come with a mindset. I think DC is still learning about each other. They're still looking, and um, you know, uh, they're still um, they're still working each other out. So I'm with Seattle. Um, I don't think it's going to be that close. I think it's um, 32-15. Okay. All right. Jumping back to Vegas now. Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's the Raptors against the Legion. You're first on this one. Uh, it's on ESPN+. Plus. Um, there you go. Knock it out of the park, Pete. Well, I mean, San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. That's probably the easiest game in the round to pick. Sorry, Colorado, but... Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's it's San Diego at home. They're one of the best teams in the league. Um, Colorado are still struggling in the scrum. They've got to fix that out. Fix that. They struggled last year. You know, if they don't have the scrum. By um, home do you mean Vegas? Because it's in Vegas. Oh, you're right. It says that it, it, even what Aaron gave us, it says it's in Vegas. Regardless, yeah. it's San Diego. Yeah. Um, that scrum. Colorado struggled at the scrum. San Diego scrum. Very solid. So, Manon will want to put on a show too. I heard he's looking for a residency act in Vegas once he's done with the San Diego Legion. So, uh, going to pull a few rabbits out of the hat, I think. I think we see some Nonu magic you know, on Sunday night. Looking forward to that one. There's, for, for, if you haven't seen it, there's a couple of highlights of, um, of Manonu's game. And he has two left-handed passes that are put so perfectly. They're into the space. Um, one is to Toto Vassal and one is to Mike Teo. And it puts, like the pass, puts the receiver in the right place to make the break. I mean, it's, it's just top, 
top-notch stuff. And this guy's 37. But remember, he was playing Super Rugby last year and he was playing so well that people were talking about him going to the World Cup with the All Blacks. I mean, the guy's 37, but he hasn't lost much and just some real, real class. And thought really smart of Rob Hoadley. We didn't talk about this early in the game. Um, sorry, early in the show. But, you know, the whole first half, he didn't touch the ball because he was just a dummy runner. They just they were just assuming that Seattle would target him. But as that game went on, he, he had some amazing influence. So I'm excited to watch him play again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that pass to Mikey Teo was a thing of beauty. That's a, a little a little bounce bounce line where you've come in an unders line, so you run an inside shoulder with the defender. The pass is thrown. The defender then keys in on your unders line, but the pass is thrown knowing you're going to bounce outside. So you actually pass across the face, and Mikey Teo. I tell you, he, he is a freakish athlete. He just got there in time. That pass was so good. I think even Mikey was kind of shocked at like how good that pass was. And he just got hey, the fingers. Hey, look at Dan Power getting the rugby nerd on. Look yeah. Up. Once you get out of the scrum, I'm good. I'm good. But it, the tighter you get, the more confused they get. So I'll leave that to you, man. You're, you're the super coach. You know it all. So sorry. But I just thought that's a that was actually a line I used to love running and also passing to was a – we called it a, a short long or, or an in out or uh, unders overs, whatever you wanted to call it. But it was a, it's a great line when it's run properly. It's so hard to defend too because you've really got to focus on your uh, opposite number. And as soon as your eyes get locked in and you start losing contact of where the ball is, that's when uh, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble as an outside defender. But beautiful pass. All right, mate. Game of the week. CBS Sports. Pete Steinberg, Stacey Pates, Dan Power on that one. It's New Orleans hosting Atlanta. We talked to Cam Dolan about the rivalry game. It's going to be a good one. We will do something different this year. We're going to stay on the fence for games. So we will secretly give our tips. But for the benefit of uh, bipartisan broadcast, we won't actually make our tips live on the show. Um, I think that's just so, yeah, Dan, just so people understand this, like what happens in the next couple of days is we reach out to, you know, um, the coach from Atlanta, from New Orleans, and we like chat to them and we get some insight and, you know, they trust that we're not going to give any of that away. It's sort of hard to do that if you've just picked against that team. So just to help us as we go through, make sure. So you just, you just don't want to stand and deliver. I see. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're just like, you know, we don't want to call a show with any bias so we can win the, so we can win the season. That's all it is. Yeah, you watch every game we'll call. We'll come back in hindsight and said, "Yeah, I actually picked that team." So no, we will we will write it in. Aaron will be our our vault of of honesty. We'll call him the vault of honesty and lock it in. But I think that's probably. I, I, I want to say that this is actually. I mean, I'm so excited. This game is on um, on CBS Sports. I'm excited that we're doing it. I think this might be the best game of the weekend. It's two teams on a beautiful new pitch. They both like to play fast rugby. They both like to play it wide. Um, I think all, both teams have pretty solid set pieces. I think, I think it's going to be a great game. Of all the games, I think, I think, you know, I think Atlanta, New Orleans is going to be the game to watch. And it has the makings for a rivalry too. Cam kind of touched on that, that they are the two Southern teams. And um, traditionally, two, uh, two cities that have a really strong sporting culture and a rivalry already built in. So I, I really hope players from both sides 
appreciate and understand that that rivalry does exist and to keep it going. I hope this is a real fiery one. I hope they really rip into each other. So I'm looking forward to it, Pete. Looking forward to getting down and seeing you and Stacey as well. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun a fun a fun time down in um, New Orleans. Sure, Will. This one it's been a long show, Pete. What do we need them to do after they finish listening to this long show? I appreciate you tuning in for so long, but we just have one more request for you. Yep. So if you can, wherever you get your um, podcast, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, um, please review. You know, rate us and review us. That means that more people can find Major League Rugby Kickoff. It helps us spread the word. Um, and any of the really good reviews we'll read out on the broadcast. Yeah, give it a share on social media as well. Get the word out there. The more we can get it out, the better it is for Major League Rugby. The better it is for Major League Rugby, the better it's going to be for the fans. So that wraps it up. We look forward to week two. It's a big week. Lots going on in Vegas, plus CBS, of course, on Sunday night as well. So for Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, the master producer, I'm Dan Powell. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast.